Blog Talk Radio. Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Put it. 
and your white great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather and your white grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. When they first hear the news Press play and then rewind and review But the message is clear and it cuts just like the knife You don't surrender, they take your life And I remember the movies my mama used to show me Remember the times when they bought and they sold you We are poor, that's what I told you
Credibility of fascism sought by elites can best be established by the level of force and carnage inflicted on the population to ensure compliance. Obtaining compliance is solely the purview of weapon, weapon proliferation, but preferably in the hands of the right-wing conservatives who identify with systems of law and order cracking down on political oppression, uh, opposition. It should be pointed out the racist strain of gun possession has long been an intimate aspect of U.S. history. Following the Civil War in 1877, leading politicians advocated arming white citizens out of fear of newly freed Africans and as a means to reverse the political gains of African people. This desire to ensure weapons in the hand of right-wing whites to fight against perceived enemies, presumably Africans, never really resided. Currently, the governor of Florida signed into law a bill blocking credit card companies from tracking firearms and ammunition purchases. Intent of the bill is to stop companies from raising red flags on people exercising their Second Amendment rights. Ironically, prior to signing of the bill, weapon purchases skyrocketed despite credit card companies' use of merchant category codes documenting sales of weapons and ammunition. In fact, in 2022, over 20 million guns were sold in the U.S. Now, according to the Small Arms Analytics, which estimates there are 120 guns for every 100 citizens in the U.S. Of the 20 million guns sold in the U.S., this was estimated 17 million of those guns were sold to first-time gun owners. Proliferation of those guns were no mistake. Gun purchases coincided with protests ranging from police brutality to gay rights, provoking a rancor of patriotic Americans <coughs> and increasing gun violence or gun purchases is a strong indication since the fear, for whatever reason is, is palpable. And the current call by political leaders to arm themselves is being received by a largely conservative segment of the U.S. society. Now, politicians play a major role in legitimizing fascism. And in an advanced economy, one would think fascism impulses will be concealed if, no other, if nothing more than fear of losing status as a U.S. representative in Congress. Apparently, in the U.S., fear no longer inhibits politicians from brazenly expressing their love for figures like Hitler or Viktor Orban, Prime Minister of Hungary, who openly embraces fascism. Paul Gozart, Republican of Arizona, not only embraces burned aspects of fascism, but has expressed his support for white supremacy and white nationalist attack on the Capitol. Gozart's hatred of democracy not only manifests in words, but deeds as well. Willing to employ far-right individuals like Wade Sayer, uh, who blogs about the need for white domination, his political affiliations are documented in far-right annals of individuals and groups committed to fascism as a means to ensure the survival of white supremacy globally and in the U.S. nationally. Among those Gozar collaborates with is Nick Fuentes. No stranger to far-right events, Fuentes, an avowed NCL supporter, publicly expresses contempt for women. As a supporter of the NCL movement, he does not embrace the idea women should provide sex to men without question. Instead, he advocates having sexual relationship with women is gay. Given this level of animosity against women, which is key to the continuation of the human species, Gozar's interest in Fuentes, Fuentes is difficult to fathom. Another Goza embrace, Ali Alexander has a history of seeking out young males for sexual relationships, and again, his usefulness in, in, in legitimizing fascism remains a mystery. Taking into consideration, fascist movements do not openly cherish sexual deviancy, according to Hitler or Mussolini. What possibly could be the appeal to Goza in association with far-right politicians with suspected proclivities? 
It is my conjecture, both Fluentes and Alexander serve a purpose in riling up the far right for now, only to be vilified and scorned at some later point when the far right is sufficiently organized. Of course, fomenting organization among the far far right can can be both indirect and nebulous, ne, 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 excuse me, nebulous, depending on the left wing counter strategies. The portrayal of the masses as the problem is a common strategy among fascists like the far right Republicans in the U.S. Republicans have cleverly used the debt limit discussion to reduce Medicaid support to over 85 million poor women and children. This will be achieved by instituting a work requirement for participants to receive health care or food. This plan, according to Congressional Budget Office, is enacted by President Biden, will result in over 275,000 people per month losing support. The fact government will save only $11 billion over 10-year 10 year, 10 year period suggests the motivation of the Republicans has less to do with economic health of society since tax and wealth at, for people who make over a billion per year at 2% interest rate would generate $62 billion per year, but more to do with the political considerations that could stimulate fascism in three ways. One, scapegoat the poor as the true, prob, true problem, not capitalism. And secondly, as more insidious, elevate hopelessness, which causes, which, which ensues crime, <clears throat> which government uses statistics to hype the extent of threat that exists in the nation. And thirdly, poverty could be used to highlight the uselessness of non-productive or unemployed people, which negatively impacts the economic well-being of the country as a whole. Now, the insidious implication of the debt talks does not end with, with manipulating human perception by elites. It gets more convoluted. Republicans, the law and order people, covertly plan to defraud not just the police, but law enforcement generally. Reduction of law enforcement budgets is is is, is provided non is, is is good provided non defense discretionary budget i.e. social net the social safety net is invested in and not the U.S. military. Republicans plan to cut community oriented police services grant or cops by considerable margins down from two hundred twenty five dollars two hundred twenty five million dollars. This particular grant provides assistance to small and rural police agencies along with the cops grants. The Burn J grants, which allocate $270 million per year, will be, will be reduced in the neighborhood of 30%. Casual reviewing these numbers does not appear to be catastrophic. However, when the economic decline is reflected in police budgets, the deficits that ensue must be accounted for in one of two ways. One, police are laid off and the quality of services decline. Or two, cops engage in civil forfeitures, or in other words, confiscate private property associated with crime, or writing tra tra uh, traffic tickets, presumably erroneous tickets, to make up for budgetary shortfalls. Either way, the police departments are put in a difficult situation in which media narrative paints the cops as outgunned and outmanned, likely will elicit a response from far-right ideologues looking for a reason to engage and kill the bad guys. In other words, those historically looked upon as not truly American. And with that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to our Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years. 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. 
I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many, to defeat the few, to gain truth and justice for everyone in their struggle for liberty and, and pursuit of happiness. We, uh, we ask people to uh, study, 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 and uh, turn yourself into communists. And we, uh, we thank you for allowing us to be on the show, Brother Africa. We thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, we go to now Sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome Sister Eleanor to Africa on the moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow analysts, and to our listeners here in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I'm a human rights advocate, artist. And right now, the biggest concern this week, obviously, is the U.S. Uh, budget, as well as the uh, interests of the people in Afghanistan with the sanctions and uh, sanctions against the Cubans, as well as Venezuela. And we, I stand in solidarity against the apartheid of the Palestinian nation. And the fact that um, more than 1,100 Palestinians have been killed this year in 2023 with the illegal settlements and the burning of olive groves and their property. Thank you very much for having me on the show this evening, Brother Africa, and I look forward to uh, wonderful commentary from our listeners and our my fellow analysts. We thank you as well, Sister Eleanor. So listen, audience, audience, I'm Brother Africa. This is Africa on the Move. Um, we're going to be dealing with the theme today, U.S. looting, stealing, and lying. How? Before we get to that theme, what we want to do is make a couple of announcements. Uh, number one, we'd like to uh, look at our listeners and supporters this upcoming week for the next two weeks. Like always, we want to make our contribution to the institution of African Liberation Day. This will be the 65th, 65th year of celebrating African Liberation Day, as well as Palestine and Akbar Day. That will be 75 years of celebrating this special occasion. We'll be hosting some important programs and supporting and working with the all-African peoples. Revolutionary Party GC, write these dates down on your calendar. Share it with your network and join us. We ask you to call in and listen to these programs. The first one would be on uh, May the 24th from 8 to 10 p.m. There will be a program dealing with Pan-Africanism in the African diaspora. Um, there will be various several countries from South America and the Caribbean that are going to be speaking to that theme along with the APRPGC. On Saturday, they will be celebrating the 65th anniversary and history of African Liberation Day. That would take place on this station on the 27th from 11 a.m. Eastern Time to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. 
So put that down in calendar. You have many um, perspectives and updates on various political movements and organizations. Come and help celebrate us on that day. And on Sunday, the 28th, we have a very special program. We'll be doing an interview with our brother, Brother William with our brother Will Kamakari. He's going to begin his perspectives and update on the Ali Saab case, which is very important. Please check that out. That's on Sunday on the 28th from 8 to 10 p.m. And on Wednesday, May the 31st, correction for the program on Sundays, it will be our normal time from 7 to 9 p.m. on Ali Saab. So check that out from 7 to 9 p.m. Sunday, 28th. Um, the story of Alice William And on the 31st, we'll be participating with and carrying a special interview with Bob Brown, PA Roots, as we talk about um, the slave trafficking and how that may help to get a better understanding of our ongoing struggle for our liberation. You'll be interviewed. My brother in Wadman Kito organized for all African peoples representative party. So please tune in on the 31st from 8 to 10 p.m. So those are some of the programs that Africa on the Move will be sponsoring and supporting as they celebrate, uh, or as we celebrate with the APRPGC, the 65th year of celebration and the 75 years anniversary with Palestine and Akhmad Day. So please again join us. Again, the dates again, they are the 24th from 8 to 10 p.m., the 27th from 11 a.m. to 2 a.m., the 28th from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., and the 31st from 8 p.m. to 10 Put those dates there on your calendar. So at this point in time, what we're going to do before we go into our segment, and we invite you to join us by dialing 323-679-0841. Uh, we, we want you to support African Liberation Day, support the station, and you can do that by joining our support friends of Af- Africa on the Moon Radio. You can email us at Africa on the Moon on 2 at Gmail, or if you just would like to make a contribution, you can do that as well. That cash app and that's at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, Small R, small O, small B, or Zealous African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. Your support is welcome and needed. So, those are a few of our announcements. And um, what we want to do right now, before we go into our segments, what's going on in our world community, we're going to take a rubbish and culture break, and we'll be back with Brother Haki leading us off. And we want to know from you as well what's going on in your world and the community. And you can do that when we come back by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Again, we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. When I dropped the mic, it hit the floor like Thor. That's right. Can't pick it up no more. Don't even try. Y'all know what it is. Get smart for the shit start, before it get dark, before they hit you with the pitchfork. Better crip walk, crip this walk. Is real talk. Smoke push, ambush, then we peel off. Uh, Nigga still rolling with the wheels off. Uh, 
always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, leave that boy alone, like home alone. Fuck a stolen bomb, arrest the president. You got the evidence, that nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours. Did you know the new pipe was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns. They trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your bait sticks. Let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I took back my eyes and all black tonight. That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal. No, I'm a seminal. Yeah. I was free once. Now I'm clinical. You so technical. This was Mexico. Now everywhere I go is owned by Mexico. Fuck them. Fuck them and the rest Hell of you. Yeah. I turn a phone to a best hopper. I'ma roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really want to make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in, they don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair. That's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like it's daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make them scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. 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 Arrest the
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move as your host of the Africa. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As we find it, we're going to stand behind it. And before we went on our break, I got a couple couple more announcements that I'd like to share with our listening audience. Um, for those who want to know more about upcoming activities, well, this year, African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, being organized by the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC, we encourage you to check out their website at www.a-a-p-r-p-g-c.org. Also, we'd like to send our best wishes and get well soon to our brother Anthony, who is the organizer for the a- who is a member of the AAPRPGC. He is under the weather. Um, he said he might try to come in, come on, say a few words, but he is not feeling well, and we'd like to wish him our best wishes. And uh, hang in there, brother, and um, we're going to get through this. So we'd like to send our best wishes to Brother Anthony. So on that note, let's continue. We go down this road of liberation, as we discussed today with our political panelists and analysts, what's going on in our world and the community. We're now bringing Brother Haki, and Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, <clears throat> I'm, I'm amazed at the level of uh, global warming that's taking place in the society. And more importantly, I'm, I'm somewhat perturbed at the level of um, um, uh, hubris employed by people in positions of power to the extent that these people behave and act as though they're gods. And what I find problematic is that often too many of us actually worship these people, you know, in terms of some type of fake god. And so I find that very, very uh, ironic. But in any event, uh, I think that when we talk about global warming, that's an important, important issue because increasingly it's happening in the United States, and at some point, you know, uh, you know, we have to take a stand in terms of preventing, you know, the, the, the destruction of the planet. But having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to listen to this. Uh, corporate persistence in dismissing the perils of climate change, despite evidence to the contrary, is both frightening and surreal at the same time. Systems often exhibit inertia, resistance to change, and the economic system is no different. In the case of global warming, inability to act will result in political upheaval, massive deaths, and biodiversity loss, plants and animals that the planet depends. The level of corporate indifference to the plight of the planet and the hubris of those organizations audacity to facilitate conditions of, of doom makes rationalization of such inaction politically difficult to reconcile. Recently, Journal One Earth surmised fossil fuel firms investing in fossil fuel continue to fuel global temperature change, resulting in damages to businesses and communities. Lists of corporates include BP, Shell, Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, and Total of Saudi Arabia, along with 20 other firms. In assessing these firms' level of carbon emissions, contributing to loss of businesses and property, the report estimates these firms owe reparations to date of $4.5 trillion. This figure is considerably low, given it does not assess the value of lost lives, species extinction, biodiversity loss, or quality of life issues. What makes this report particularly daunting is the fact the amount of reparations assessed goes back to 1988 when the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate was established. Concerns of wildfire, sea level increases, melting glaciers, and famine were documented as distinct possibilities, theorizing between 2023 to 20, year 2050 
crisis-level events impelling the survival of the planet. 35 years later, the most responsible global warming, namely the West, continues to be very cavalier in the face of climatic change that threatens us all. Now, it would be irresponsible not to point out the role of capitalism and geopolitical considerations influencing decisions not to address global warming. Corporate agenda under capitalism serves only one objective. That objective, profits for investors and shareholders who share a similar philosophy. For example, BlackRock, the largest money firm in the world, 10 trillion in assets, is adamant global temperature change is not their concern. Dalio Blass, senior managing director, disclosed in a letter to Texas officials of Black, BlackRock's commitment to fossil fuel firms. The letter states, quote, to be long-term investors in carbon-intensive sector because these companies' crucial role in the economy and energy transfer, end quote. Attempt at deception in itself is revealing. While he speaks about specific investments in carbon-intensive sector, uh, carbon being the reason for global warming, transition Transition would suggest abandoning carbon-based sources for energy, which is, which is not his stated intent. Mr. Blast and Cassitrance is understandable in the face of capitalism, given the ends justifies the means. Aside from the profit motivation, the city's strategic considerations should never be discounted. Given Western pledges to assist, given Western pledges to assist the global South with infrastructure finances to resist global warming and protect their economy, then renege on those agreements. I suspect ulterior motives may be playing a bigger part in the West's refusal to honor their agreements. Among my concerns toward Western resistance to honor their pledge, considerably concerns it, it would realign the power dynamics between the global South and the West, particularly Africa. And this has to be avoided at all costs. Certainly, maintaining global hegemony is a major concern of the West, as epitomized by Western fixation on both China and Russia. However, the more insidious Western consideration for denying global self-assistance may be to facilitate sizable global population reductions in the global south. There's no question land mass unpopulated will make recolonization of countries <coughs> uh, relatively easier for Western imperialists to achieve. Even though global warming is impacting the global south, we should not be misled. Global warming is also impacting the U.S. According to the National Climate Assessment Group, in mid-20s, the central, central, excuse me, mid 20th century America saw fewer than 20% climate related disaster on a yearly basis. Today, that number is 50%. Interestingly, U.S. officials' response to temperature change has been, has been lackluster in infrastructure in innovations, but the response to those affected by climate disaster has been outstanding, provided you are wealthy and white. Guided by a federal pol government policy that ensures the wealthy gets wealth and the poor gets poorer by allocating aid disproportionately, African and other ethnicities come up short. Finding it difficult to engage a law bureaucracy like the Federal Emergency Management Association, criteria is established where great power is invested in supervisors who determine the eligibility of receiving grants and or loans from the federal government. The program is structured to have supervisors access, access, access claims for government support for climate disaster. In the advent supervisors do not visit your home or your property based on your area code, government assistance is impossible to obtain. The disparities between African and white property owners, irrespective of income level, becomes even more problematic. Reports indicate even when inspectors visit African property owners, many inspectors spe speculate the damage to African homeowners' homes to be function of a weak or unstable foundation and not the result of climatic events like flooding, wind, etc. 
Reports indicate this tendency toward African homeowners is pervasive, often rather than resulting to deception to disqualify African homeowners from government assistance, many supervisors would not provide any reason for disqualifying African homeowners. Ethan Raker released a report detailing the underhanded tactics employed by supervisors. The report stated 11% of African applicants, regardless of status, met this fate, while 4% for whites. If I were to conjecture, the 4% of whites encountering the same injustices are poor, and those supervisors engaged in this fiasco knows poor people are less likely to have resources to fight injustices. Now, not to mention uh, approval of too many claims could get those supervisors fired or demoted. Now, the bottom line is this. No human being should have the power over life and death. Capitalist abil- the capitalist ability to foment death and destruction will only end when people proclaim enough with their sanity. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. From Brother Haki, we now will make our transition to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, it's been a uh, struggle. Uh, personally, I've become more sensitive to the failing U.S. health system and the reason for the uh, low life expectancy of the Western world that the U.S. shares with virtually no one other than Haiti, um, the uh, maternity death and the infant mortality rate amongst African-Americans, quote, Africans. And in addition, um, we are dealing with uh, an incredible crisis with the Consumer Price Index and that the Consumer Price Index controls the increase of so many things, including mortgage prices and rents throughout the country causing a devastating impact on the finances of the working class. That includes the uh, working poor and the middle class. In addition, uh, we saw this week a hearing of four whistleblowers on Capitol Hill who, instead of being protected and rewarded, uh, have been lost their uh, uh, secret uh, security, their security status, and fired. One of which has four children with an 11-week-old child, leaving his family as he reported to Congress in a financial crisis. So we continue to see the imperialists using economics and uh, squash the 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 working class, causing. Um, unnecessarily loss of lives and uh, diminishing the quality of life for people uh, throughout the United States. As Brother Aki said, the U.S. is also experiencing a major drought. Uh, The Colorado River, which supplies water to New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Arizona, West Texas, about seven states has been uh, record lows in the last few years. This is just not reported in the mainstream media, but it's having a tremendous impact on uh, farming and agriculture as well as uh, on the reservations of the Navajo 
and the Mayans. So uh, these are concerns as well as taking a look at what has been going on with the meeting in Hiroshima with the uh, seven, uh, the uh, the big, big, big travelers, and um, President Biden decided to leave early because of the pressure of Congress and its willingness to not sustain the budget. Each time this is done, the country becomes less secure because what people count on for the U.S. is the security of its banks and its dollar. We are uh, uh, losing uh, faith, not only faith, but we're losing the confidence of world nations. Um, And as you realize, when we um, take sanctions on folks, we literally steal their money held by U.S. banks. You've seen that done with Venezuela and other countries, uh, including Afghanistan, and uh, this is an outrage. Meanwhile, the war continues to rage in Yemen, and uh, that's about it. That's a summary for uh, me today. And again, thank you for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. I am just arriving um, to my residence after a 11-day absence. Uh, of, and I'm so happy to be here and so happy to be on the show this evening. Thank you so much. And we are so happy that since now know you've been able to return back to your home. So at this point in time, what we're going to do is make a transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. As you know, I'm part of the D.C. Coalition in Solidarity with the Cuban Revolution, and we are planning a program for the 24th of June, and uh, we're getting together that. Um, So far, it looks like we're going to have the Westminster Church in, um, I think it's Southwest D.C., um, and um, we're planning a program in support of the Cuban Revolution, and and um, and we will be giving out information regarding the the status of of uh, the struggle to normalize relationships with Cuba. This week, uh, Tuesday. This week, uh, the D.C. City Council passed a resolution um, that was uh, asking for the end to the blockade, the embargo on Cuba, and also uh, asking for uh, the blockade. Oh, wow. The, I'm trying to get me. The blockade. And I can't remember the other the other position. Uh, it's the support of the Cuban Revolution uh, uh, to normalize relationships. Basically, is what it's trying to do, and uh, and so we're working on that. And and let's see the that the budget deficit um, in terms of the U.S. federal government. Uh, about to renege on this debt. Uh, if at, on June first, it's supposed to run out of money, 
So we definitely uh, think we should keep politics in command and that um, the the budget ceiling should be extended and that people's needs to be met over the budget uh, the budgetary um, deficit goals. And so we continue on that front. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Uh, those are the main things that happened this week. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And to our political panelists, analysts, I would just like to have your response to a couple of conversations I've had with several people during the week. And I was just interested in your response before we go on our break and come back to have our discussion on that today's theme. Um, the first response I'd like to have from each and everyone is that it's an interesting statement, a quote where people talk about why there's no peace today in today's world. When you look at the behavior of the functioning of capitalism and imperialism, and these oppressive systems. They said, when you talk about bringing about peace, you're also talking about affecting the bottom line. That is is to say, they cannot make a lot of money when they're at peace, when countries and nations are at peace. They prefer a walk or wall big money. Is there any truth to that that perspective, panelists? I start with you, Brother Haki. Uh, I, I agree with your sentiment, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, you know, this this notion that uh, you can have peace uh, in the presence of capitalism is contradictory. Uh, of course, we understand profit margins often uh, exist because the ability in terms not only manipulation but coercion, uh, uh, even in terms of uh, employing punitive measures in terms of, you know, making sure people stay in line for the full purpose in terms of making profit. And so when we talk about peaceful existence, then clearly it's not in capitalist interest to have peace. And this, this, you know, this explains the, the propensity in terms of wars being waged around the world. And you think about, for instance, say, Port Little Cuba. Little Cuba never did anything to the U.S., so why are you engaging a war against, a de facto war against Cuba? Venezuela never did anything to, to the United States, so why are you waging war? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, the situation in, in um, Ukraine, uh, this was orchestrated by the West in, in conjunction with uh, corrupt politicians in Ukraine to bring about Yulinsky's uh, 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 selection and, and use him as a puppet in terms of carrying out war when clearly the, 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 the terms were established twice, not just once. On the Minsk Accords, was stated that they had an agreement in terms of the treatment of, of uh, Russian citizens inside inside those places you know, in, in, in Ukraine. And so, so clearly, you know, U.S. understands that in terms of, in terms of, you know, achieving its interest, it cannot, it cannot have peace. It cannot have peace, and it will not have peace. And this is the thing that uh, African leaders are beginning to understand. Uh, one of the things that African leaders, being you know, ancient people, being the oldest people on the planet, being the original people on the planet, uh, their patience is, is unlimited, and they were convinced that somehow over time that the West will evolve and understand that what you're doing is insane, that it's not in your own long-term interest. But gradually, gradually, they're coming to the realization that, you know what, despite all that patience shown in the West in terms of, you know, you know, trying to engage in discourse to get them to understand fundamentally that all this destruction and all this hatred and all this uh, injustice is really not, is really not necessary. We can, we can craft a world 
in which people live together, people respect each other, and we can create a society in which economically we share and we all prosper. The U.S. said, hell no. That's not what we're interested in. We want it all. For us, it's an all or nothing proposition. And so when you talk about peace, you got to understand, capitalism will never recognize peace. I don't give a damn what you do. And one of the things that uh, Castro was corrected by saying, he's saying one of the things, if the world wants to achieve peace, one of the things you're going to have to do, you have to take your lumps. You're going to have to fight the U.S. I mean, there, there, is, there is no, listen, there is no discourse. There's no discussion that's to be had to get capitalism to change its course. They're committed to what they're doing. Even though to the extent that capitalism is steadily declining, the, 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 the response to that decline is not in terms of changing course, in terms of doing something different. The decline is a double down on more military spending, more military activities, more destabilization programs, uh, activities around the, around, the, or, you know, around the planet. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. For anyone who thinks capitalism and peace can coexist, I got a bridge in Brooklyn for sale, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Alnoy, your response. Sister Alnoy, your response to this question, you know, to this question of peace, there's no money making um, great opportunities when you have peace versus having war. Your response? Okay, while well, I wait for Sister Alnoy to speak, let's see if we can bring on Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your response. Certainly, certainly war and peace uh, are a part of a, a political position, a political economy, and, uh, and, and peace under capitalism is a continuation of war by other means, sanctions, um, all kind of boycotts, etc. Um, oh, I wanted to say that um, the city council passed a resolution that takes Cuba off the state sponsor of terrorism list. That was the other part of the resolution. And um but yeah, peace peace, you know, is is what the working class desires in order for us for us to prosper. But the capitalists who are profit driven and money driven over over the needs of people, they put they don't mind killing people and uh, if it's gonna make money and so they support you know Zelensky and his his agenda. Um, um, the the world needs justice, uh, and you know we have to study the history of the world and the history of politics in that region and understand that uh, that Zelensky is a renegade and that basically um, the Government of, of Russia and, uh, and the Ukraine are one people, basically, and that um, we we have to stop supporting the 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 uh, white chauvinist uh, system of of uh, government that Zelensky represents. Uh, peace, peace is desirable, but with this, without justice, there can be no peace. Uh, uh, peace is the the peace is not just the absence of of, of of war, but it's the 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 predominance of justice. If 
future is going to be true peace. And uh, so, yeah, the capitalists, capitalists are interested in money making and and the, the blowing up artillery, using bullets, uh, blowing up bridges, and replacing materials, things. Uh, all that's part of a capitalist system of, of, of making money. And uh, you know, this it's unfortunate. Some people have have their their interests and their livelihood based on war. But that's the situation we're faced with, and we're going to have to face up to it. And um, definitely nothing reactionary falls if it's on a court. It has to be toppled. So thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Let's see if we can get Sister Eleanor back. Sister Eleanor. Your response, Sister Eleanor. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. What was it? The question is, is there any truth to on a capitalism pretty system, system that's fraught people? They see peace as a means of not being able to monopolize and make money. They make more money on the wall than at peace. So peace is something that's not desirable on the capitalist system. Your response is Eleanor. Right. Right now, that, that in the, the failing economy of the U.S., we have become a warmongering nation, and uh, it seems that the uh, the uh, war machine, the Lockheed Martins and the rest, are running uh, the government and the economy. It certainly is unfortunate, and uh, there there is truth to that. In addition, um, as uh, Brother Moses mentioned, the city council in the District of Columbia unanimously supported the um, removal of the sanctions, the embargo against Cuba, as well as taking it off the state terrorist list. And we continue to foster uh, uh, misinformation and confusion whenever there seems to be uh, a legitimate election, whether in Nicaragua, Venezuela, uh, uh, anywhere uh, in the uh, global South, uh, Central and South America, we are at odds with that nation, or not we, but the United States is at odds with that nation. And that's a part of a fostering war and weaponry. And this week they decided to give these uh, super planes to the Ukraine. Uh, originally the war with the Ukraine was a, uh, it, it wasn't so open and blatant, but they used the United States press and the European press have publicized this war in a fashion that many of the uninformed people do not realize that this is a proxy war and that this is a war intended to marginalize Mother Russia for its gold, its oil, its gas, and to do what they've done with other uh, African nations, uh, even though Russia is a European nation and the 
uh, it holds the largest land mass of any nation in the world. So, yes, we are warmongering. The United States is a warmongering nation, and we see that from uh, Iraq to Afghanistan. We see it with um, uh, the fights in Africa with um, uh, right now, what is it called, Afro- Afroco or... Um, and uh, it is uh, a real, a real uh, outrage. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Noah. You listen to Africa on the Move. We're discussing what's going on in your world and the community. If you like have, if you like to share any questions. Or raise any issues or what's going on in your world or in your community, we invite you to call in at 323-679-0841 and hit 1. Please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Panelists and analysts, one other issue I had a um, discussion with some of the people earlier during this week was on the issue for our understanding that I believe the U.S. Federal Reserve System will go into a digitized system, money will be digitized starting in June. And I'm just wondering what are your what are your thoughts on this question when money will now become digitized and whether or not if that's a good thing. Because one of the things I see happening, if they're going to digitize money, then what you are saying also is that you really will not really have control over your own money. They can block you and stop you from doing anything you want to do. If they don't agree, maybe with your politics or what you're trying to purchase or where you want to go, so is this also just another form of enslaving the people, brother? Haki, your response to this question of making money become digitized for everything. Your response, brother Haki. Well, <laughs> well, brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, one of the things we, we talked about this on African Move ten years ago. Uh, one of the problems is that when you talk about the decline of capitalism. You know, as as countries increasingly around the world begin to see the United States and the West generally for what they are, uh, there's great resistance. And this resistance means that economic opportunities actually decrease, you know, for Western states. And that context is, is having a very deleterious, very negative impact on the, uh, the, the state of Western economies, particularly the United States. And so what happens essentially what you have a situation in the United States where, where the economy operates Namely, because it, the, the ability in terms of just printing up, you know, printing up money uh, without any type of responsibility, simply because you know when we talk about you know money on computers, you know you don't have it. All, it doesn't have to be uh, backed by anything. It's simply on a computer. Someone hit the, hit the stroke of a key, and the money is there, and it's that simple. Well, the problem in terms of, of doing that, inevitably, with all that money in terms of circulation, the value of the money becomes uh, becomes almost worthless. And particularly when you superimpose upon that the fact that African, I mean, the states around the world, uh, you know, are, are moving away from the dollar, it creates real economic instability, real economic problem for the United States. And as a con, and as, as as a result, the United States understand the United States needs revenue in terms of in terms of maintaining this facade in terms of democracy. And so what it does, because it, because the printing of the money is, 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 is per se, is, is not effective as it used to be, now they're going to digital currency. So now there's a different ball game. So now what happens is that uh, the central banks can exercise control over the banks. They essentially control, you know, what the banks can and can't do. 
And in that regard, so whenever there's a deficit in terms of, of, of revenues, uh, the central banks can simply say, listen, you know, given this deficit, we can simply take it from A bank, B bank, C bank. We simply can do that. And the bank's response is there's nothing they can do in terms of preventing that because that's part of the, that's where it's structured. To, that's where it's structured. And so in the, and to the extent that it, it affects people negatively, I think one thing we have to understand is that when we talk about talk about you know having access to cash, it affords us a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of flexibility. And as you alluded to, Brother Africa, one of the things that when you talk about central bank currency, a digital currency, then the problem is that what is the value in terms of dollars? If in fact you got the central bank in terms, you know, de facto determining the value of the value of currency, it means that the currency of the value of, the value of, 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 of the people's currency, uh, it has no real value whatsoever. Which means that the central bank, your bank, is free pretty much to do pretty much what it wants to do in terms of making sure there are no deficits run. Uh, so, the, so the extent that deficits arise, they can be easily satisfied. Now, the issue is whether or not nations around the world are going to play ball with the U.S. in terms of these central bank, uh, uh, central bank uh, digital currency. That is the key. I'm certainly hoping that states don't go along with this with the, with the, with the, with the scheme. Uh, to, to the extent that they resist playing along with that scheme, it's going to it's going to um, enhance the deterioration of the capitalist system, uh, which means that we 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 have a point we have a point in, in the future, in which we can you know essentially get rid of this crazy capitalist system and institute a system which is geared toward the interests of humanity, which is geared toward the interests of the planet, which is geared toward the interests of fairness and justice, and to replace this crazy capitalist system. So we'll see what what other countries are going to do in terms of response to to this to this digital currency because in fact if they play ball with with the West and particularly the United States in terms of you know, digital currency with the central, you know, among the central banks, uh, it means that the exploitation that these countries face in the global South is not going to decrease. On, on the contrary, it's going to actually increase. And so therefore, we'll wait and see what they're going to do in terms of response to the digital currency. But to answer your question, Brother Africa. You're absolutely correct. Uh, this does nobody any good, and if people don't understand necessity, understand the uh, the very, 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 very horrors associated, you know, with these with these central bank digital currencies, I suggest you do some research in terms of understanding fully, you know, how this thing works and what it's all really all about. And I close with that. Thank you, brother Hackey. Sister Eleanor, one of the issues with digitizing currency, it also allows the central banks as a tracking means of knowing your business, knowing what you spend, when you spend it, and who you work with. And I don't know if that's really a good thing. It's, again, serving more as a means of monitoring as well as really controlling. Your response is, I don't know, to this question of digitizing uh, money and being centralized by the banks. Is that more? Yes, as a matter of fact. All of the things that you spoke are the problems with this digitized uh, currency. It controls your currency, and as the U.S. does with internationally, you can start doing domestically. Your funds can disappear or be seized at any time. Um, I think it's um, not a good thing. I, I don't think that it is productive for all of the reasons that you mentioned, such as. Um, monitoring all of your transactions, what, as down to where you purchase your groceries, when you pay your bills, to whom you pay your bills, when your employer pays you, whom you work for. It, it, any 
part-time ventures or efforts at entrepreneurship are being monitored when you're using this type of digital money. I am completely opposed to it. I think uh, cash and safety deposit boxes of uh, the Western banking system, including the U.S., where the wealthy are able to hide their cash and their assets um, or have privacy rather than hide, should be should be allowed for every citizen uh, in, in the United States, every person in the United States. Thank you. Cash currency is what we need. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, your take on this issue of digitized money being controlled by central banks? Yeah, this is an interesting subject. Uh, I need to bone up more on it. As Hockey said, you should study, 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 and get uh, clarity on the the issue. Um, in and of itself, I don't know uh, what what difference digitizing will will make um, as, as, uh, in and of itself. But given the capitalist system and the, the nature of the capitalist system, you know all things that, you know, are used against the working class. And, you know, it's a profit-driven system. The rich keep getting rich and the poor keep getting poor. And uh, so it's under that context that we have to look at the situation. But I, like I said, I need to study more on this issue. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You are listening to Africa on the Move. We're going to take a rubber share culture break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight. All the articles we have chosen, it best comes under and describes the theme today, which is U.S. is looting, stealing, and lying. How are they doing that? We're going to have that discussion when we return, and you can join us by dialing 323-679-0841. This is... Africa on the move. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state and people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think Organize the hood under our ching banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society With no respect for the people's right to privacy I take a slug for the cause like Huey P While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live Able to have what I need to live Bring the power back to the street where the people live We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons Dying over money and relying on religion for help we do for self like ants in a colony organize the welcome to a socialist economy a way of life based off the common needs and all my comrades is ready we just spreading the seed black male live a third of his life in a jail cell 
Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. I'm tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented. I Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution The average black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved and the jobs don't never pay enough, so the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state.
paso la bandera. Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga. ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land, some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love, Palestine, Palestine and creed we need a new beginning let us plant the seed plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom Thank you. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. And if you define it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we're going to do our best to give you what you need. We are now going to our transitional phase of discussing our theme tonight, which is U.S. looting, stealing, and lying. How? 
we chose some articles from various uh, sources that fit the scheme of this particular theme for tonight. And we would like to share it with you, and we would like to advocate that if you get a chance, we ask you to Google this article titled, May Day Rigonifus, Detained, Harassed, Threatened by U.S. Customs Border Control. It was written by the National Network on Cuba on May the 10th, 2023. Also, you can find this article from the Alliance of Global Justice Newsletter. So, panelists, as you read this article, when they talk about how they arrest these British who went to Cuba and came back, and it's real interesting, they came back, they went and came back on the so-called U.S. license. Um, what was your reaction um, by reading this particular article? For, he, for me, I believe that when we talk about the thing, it definitely fit the... Um, the description of the cater of the continuation of U.S. line is for build on the foundation of lies, and this seems like a continuation. So we start with you, Brother Hackey. What, is, what, what was your reaction to this article, Brother Hackey? Brother Africa, to be candid, uh, no, no response. It didn't, it didn't invoke a response because it's business as usual. I expect that to happen. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we understand the, the role propaganda plays in American society, so its ability to deceive people based upon you know, news narratives is pretty effective. Uh, but one thing is that when you have people you know, actually going to Cuba themselves and seeing Cuba for themselves, then they come to understand that a lot of the disinformation they fed by the U.S. government is, in fact, uh, a lies. Well, of course, that realization that what the, what the U.S. is telling them is lies doesn't set well with the U.S. authorities. And so one of the things they want to do is send an example, send an example loud and clear, you know, that, uh, you know, if, if you defy us, if you don't fall for our propaganda and you defy us by actually visiting the country that we that we perceive as our adversary or our enemy, uh, there's a price to be paid for that. And so all this is part of a continuing process in terms of intimidation. And, and this is this is what I think people have to come to grasp with. Uh, one of the things that I certainly understand in terms of, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, being wise uh, in terms of you know you know um, and, and and in terms of you know how you accomplish th- various things, uh, but one of the things politically speaking, I think one of the things is that when we talk in terms of challenging systems or trying to bring into bring into reality a different paradigm which is, which respects human rights, which respect human beings, which respect the planet, when we talk about bringing in such a paradigm, then we understand that officially uh, you know it's going to rub uh, government officials the wrong way. Because essentially what you're telling them is that despite your, your, despite your propaganda machine, uh, I see through it. And it doesn't set well with them. So they want you to know that uh, if, if the propaganda is not sufficient, then intimidation may work. And so this is what it's all about. So I'm glad to see that the baristas, uh, I'm glad to see that, that the position was that, you know, despite your attempt, uh, intimidation, uh, these, these, these programs will continue. Uh, so, you know, the, the thing is that I think they set a very good example in terms of, you know, why tenacity is so important in terms of trying to bring about change. It's never easy to bring about change. Those individuals, those governments that, that, that benefit from from the status quo are not going to give it that easily. Uh, we cannot allow ourselves to be coward uh, or, 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 or intimidated in terms of current now political activity, which sort of not only exposes the, 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 the lies of, of the U.S. government, uh, but also uh, uh, sets a precedent in which 
you know, uh, increasingly people understand that you can stand up and that, you know, it's okay to be afraid, but you, you don't have to give in to that fear. Uh, so these people are a good example in terms of, you know, actually standing to the fear and to be able to, to, to say on, you know, on, on, and on the media, you know, listen, now, despite your attempts at intimidation, threats of jailing and all of this stuff, despite all of that, you know, we stand strong. And uh, we're still advocating very strongly for the rights of Cuba. Uh, we will be visiting Cuba again in the future. And despite so despite your, your, your terrorism directed against us, it's not going to dissuade us from terms of doing what we have to do in terms of betterment of humanity. So I think so to answer your question, Brother Africa, no, I wasn't surprised at all in terms of that treatment. Uh, it's a, as a matter of fact, anytime you go somewhere they tell you you can't go, then expect once you get back here that's going to be some uh, – some repercussions to making that visit. I mean, it's just par for the course, so nobody should be surprised. As a matter of fact, you should be prepared for whatever they come at you, because you never know what they're going to do. I mean, since it's not a con- it's not a, a, a country of law and o- of laws, uh, it's a country of, of, of power, and so therefore laws really have no real legitimacy. So in that context, we can anticipate or expect any kind of uh, uh, reprisal, you know, from people in positions of power in the society. Uh, and, 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 of course, you know, they're doing everything in terms of uh, uh, concealing the reality in terms of, you know, the greatness of the Cuban society in terms of its contribution to humanity, despite, you know, the, the, the embargo, you know, on the Cuban people and the Cuban government. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, your response to this article. Well, um, we were talking earlier about uh, – um, the consequences of uh, U.S. Uh, sanctions and U.S. imperialism, and it's really apparent in uh, in, in this article in that um, the the uh, tourists, simple everyday tourists, were being harassed on their return to the U.S. Uh, you find that out really uh, something I find quite outrageous. Or uh, when you saw, when you saw one, one moment, please, Brother Africa, can you mute me for one moment? Yes, we can. We'll come back to you, Sister Eleanor. As Brother Moses, your response to the article. Well, I'm. Uh... I'm not sure what the the, the uh, which which article you're you referring to. Now? The, we're the talking what? about the article, the article written by the National Network on Cuba on the on May Day. written by U.S. Customs right. and Border Patrol. Right. And the one thing that we're people. interested. Brother Moses, one of the things that really interesting article for me, I thought was interesting that I shared the same experience on my first trip to Cuba back in 95, 96, was that when I got there, when you got off the plane, you felt so free, so relaxed. It won't make you think that freedom is a, Cuba is a, a, a repressive country where you don't feel it, you don't see it. But when you come back to the U.S., you feel the oppression. And, was, and, and, and the, the, the tenseness and the oppression when you come back here to the U.S. So I thought that was really interesting. But what is your take from this article, Brother Moses? Well, the political economy of the U.S. is capitalist and the profit-driven, and, and that's the dominant, dominant 
feature of, of the culture and the, the ideology that's being perpetuated in the USA. And so there's a definite con- definitely contrast between that and socialist Cuba, where where communal relationships are fostered and uh, and people people um, are nourishing each other and building each other up is more of the norm. And so there's a definite dif- difference in them. Um, the the U.S. government, you know, does everything it can to perpetuate capitalism and squash socialism and communism. That wherever it's found, even the the very idea is 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 attacked. Um, it's, you just mentioned the idea and it's attacked, and um, the government harasses and uh, does everything to repress repress the the movement. And so visiting Cuba is is frowned upon, and uh, you know we got an embargo on them. We got them on the state sponsored terrorism list. We're doing everything we can to crush their economy and uh, keep our foot, keep the U.S. government's foot on them. And we as as progressives must fight the U.S. government and uh, and change this situation. Uh, that's our task, and um, but yes, the brigadiers, uh, uh, the visitors to Cuba have always been harassed, and uh, and that's because the U.S. is is anti-socialist, that's against Venezuela, it's against Cuba, it's against Nicaragua, it's against China, it's against all progressive people, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Let's see if we can get Sister Eleanor back. Sister Eleanor, one of the things the Brittany stated in this article is that all the things they said about Cuba, many of the things they found it not to be true. Your response to the article, Sister Eleanor? Well, one thing that everyone who reads the article should understand is that the uh, police state the, uh, that they're talking about uh, is demonstrated here in the United States when the when when the tourists returning were detained, harassed, threatened with jail time. They had their electronics taken by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol simply uh, for having returned from Cuba. In the face of prosecution, we reaffirm, I think it's most important, that the, they, that the group uh, solidarity is not a crime. The, the U.S. blockade is, is an excellent motto. And uh, the International People's Assembly and the U.S. Hands Off of Cuba members detained returning from Cuba this week uh, a demonstration of U.S. fascism, authoritarianism on the rise. These people from Puerto Rico, the CSC uh, activists from Oklahoma, who have been targeted, just simple targets of the U.S. government, what for visiting Cuba. The U.S. says Cuba is a repressive police state, but in fact, this uh, the reality is, is that this experience 
that I am describing, the taking of electronics, border control intervening, um, with these U.S. citizens returning uh, from Cuba is an example of a police state in practice. Uh, you know, when they stepped foot back in the U.S., uh, they were immediately met with state repression, hostility, interrogation, seizure of personal property, and uh, illegitimate threats. And that uh, demonstrates uh, the growing uh, authoritarianism in, the, in our country. Um, and uh, let's, uh, as the article said, let's not uh, forget that our trip to Cuba was completely licensed and legal. That's a quote from the uh, persons being interviewed. And that the harassment by the U.S. government's attempt to scare and intimidate U.S. people out of uh, traveling to Cuba and building solidarity with Cuban people is all this is about. But uh, our, our solidarity can never be uh, uh, ended because of the great contribution of the Cuban people in terms of medicine, uh, organic farming, uh, the, the politics of the country, a democratically run uh, country. That's really phenomenal. And instead, U.S. citizens returning from Cuba are being met by Border Patrol and the FBI and their possessions stole, uh, not stolen, but confiscated. This is uh, what we call the actions of a police state, an emerging police state. Uh, the only thing that didn't happen to them is they were not jailed. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And one of the things I would like to say about this article is, too, if for those who listen to this program, don't get the, the misnomer that you need to go quote-unquote license. Different people use different strategies and tactics to go to Cuba. But in objectively speaking, you got the right to travel anywhere you want to. Some go license and some go, don't. So, you know, we just advocate if you want to go, go. Choose whichever method best suits your liking. So on that note, let's make our transition to our second article for the day as it relates to our theme. And this article is titled, The Non-Stop Western Privileges of Venezuela. Venezuela analysis Andrea Chavez Alava exposed how Washington Venezuela policy is fueled by hypocrisy and plundering. And when you talk about plundering, they really, really talk about plundering. But when we talk about our theme, this article definitely is centered around this question of looting. Looting is stealing, but definitely looting. And let's talk a little bit about this question. You guys continue to loot. This also seems to be a continuing feature of U.S. policy in its birth of looting other people's wealth. Dr. Haki, it's talking about one of the biggest con games U.S. is doing is just outright looting the Venezuelan people and the country of Venezuela. Will you speak to this question looting from this perspective? 
Brother Hackey? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's, it seems, Brother Africa, looting is becoming a um, a um, activity of choice in the Western world. Uh, we got the UK still in Venezuelan money. We got the US still in Venezuelan money. We got Germany attempting to steal uh, Russian money. Uh, so clearly, they they set me they set me a, a, a an example in terms of uh, this propensity you know, for stealing. Uh, it, what does that say in terms of societies that engage in that kind of criminality? It says it, it doesn't bode well. But in any event, uh, but when you talk about looting, you know, of, of Venezuela, I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is that. Uh, you know, um, you know, the Western states, particularly the United States, is going to do whatever it can in terms of you know, undermining the economy, you know, of of, of uh, Venezuela. If it can take, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's oil refineries. If it can uh, take, you know, uh, military aircraft. Uh, if it can steal money, you know, from the uh, from the Venezuelan economy. Uh, as far as the state, as far as the state is concerned, the U.S. state is concerned. That is a good thing because, they, they, in their estimation, they contributes to the decline, economic decline, of uh, of Venezuela. So, with that economic decline, they understand that they are hoping that they can they can um, create a, a, a groundswell in which people are, or you know, in Venezuela, are discontented with their government and rise up for something different. That is the strategy. Uh, but the thing that has been very, very frustrating for them is, you know, despite in the past, uh, you know, using similar strategies in terms of Undermining the economy in terms of getting their way. Uh, now, increasingly, more and more, the Venezuelan people are beginning to understand the po- international politics associated with it all, and so are not so amenable to being manipulated by the United States. Uh, so, when, so when we talk about this plunder of 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 of, of, of Venezuelan resources, Brother Africa, I think uh, we you know we cannot discount any anything that uh, tends to undermine the Venezuelan economy. Uh, the U.S. government is that uh, is, is 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 in terms of its ability, in terms of you know um, forces will on Venezuela. Uh, to a large extent, that ability to enforce its will on Venezuela has been declining ever since 1990, 1996. And so there's so obviously there is no there is no going back. The Venezuelan people understand that the future uh, of Venezuela lies with going forward, and so there's no going back. So despite the, the tactics employed by the United States. Uh, this looting is not going to achieve its purpose in terms of undermining uh, the faith of the people in the country, in their country of Venezuela. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Hackney. Sister Eleanor, your response to this article, when you talk about plundering, we talking about they talking about over $347 million has been um, taken, it's been what happened in Venezuela as it relates to um, Money's owed to Venezuela. They're talking about the whole question of the value of money they made or they are taking from Sitco, which is under control and property of Venezuela. We're talking about, you know, agreement of they agreed to at least to give back Venezuela money of $3 billion, but they still refuse to do this. But they want to give it to their so-called dissidents, like one guy know, you know, going to take the people money, then they're going to redirect it to the criminals to use it to try to help overthrow their own government. So from your perspective, Sister um, Eleanor, what do you take from this article? Um, I, 
quite frankly, um, you know, when I think of Sitco and what uh, Joe Kennedy and Sitco did for U.S. citizens comes to mind when I read this article, there were citizens all over the United States who could not afford heating oil. And Sitco provided it to U.S. citizens without charge. So the people of Venezuela have been friends and had a cooperative relationship in the U.S. Uh, for for decades, uh, presumably with uh, um, uh, this, this, you would not expect. And what we were talking about was earlier I mentioned how the U.S. had normally been a place where your funds and international funds and money were safe. But the world is seeing that your monies are not safe. Because in addition to seizing uh, the $347 million, what about the $1 billion a year that the Venezuelan people should be making from their CITCO sales across the United States? So um, there are many things going on. The, the, the money for the uh, discretionary use of the opposition politics, polit- uh, politicians, what, that's what's really outrageous, that they uh, are um, not legitimately elected, as the article demonstrates. It lays out the term conditions of the presidency and the presidents that have been elected since 2016. And uh, the reality is is that what the U.S. is doing is squeezing out the Venezuelan middle class by holding uh, Venezuelan resources and causing um, uh, domestic turmoil in Venezuela. Um, the presidency is uh, determined every six years as uh, stated in the article by the Constitution. And uh, uh, instead, the U.S. is supporting a a guy that is like a January 6th guy in the United States, a guy that's tried to have a coup d'etat several times in, in, in Venezuela. And the U.S. is allowing Venezuelans money, the country's money, the state's money, to be given to him and his colleague living uh, in Spain. And what for? For travel to Washington to lobby for more sanctions to maintain luxury lifestyles and an occasional Zoom meeting or uh, electoral activity in middle-class neighborhoods in Venezuela. And this misinformation is uh, uh, this misinformation being fed to the middle class in Cuba is uh, part of our design of organizations like the CIA and others uh, to fight against freedom and democracy. And that's all the Venezuelans have been fighting for and have had since 1999 is freedom and democracy. And for some reason, probably because of oil, the U.S. 
seeks to undermine this uh, process. Uh, the narrative that's imposed by Washington is that that, that has paralyzed the talks and, and that no sanction relief is possibly, uh, that's what the U.S. has been doing. We're hypocrites. Uh, the U.S. foreign policy uh, is in opposition to our actions. Mostly, Thank you, uh, one more thing, most importantly, Venezuela does not need to establish, and I want to say that clearly, an electoral schedule because that already exists, and that was stated clearly in the article. And the elections in Venezuela have been observed both by the Carter Center, that is President Jimmy Carter, and other legitimate international organizations that view and uh, and uh, monitor elections throughout the world. Hugo Chavez in 1998 was victorious. In 2000, again, and in 2004, after his death, there was a legitimate election, and there have continued to be elections right up to 2018. The next election is scheduled for uh, December 2024, uh, according to the National Election Council of Venezuela that is in charge of uh, managing um, the uh, uh, presidential elections and other state elections. And all this is is Western they're hypocrites. They they have no boundaries, and they're demanding uh, electoral guarantees, just wanting to put their puppets in place. And since 1986, uh, the CITO so stations have uh, um, operated. Uh, company has operated refineries in Texas, Louisiana, and Illinois, and has over 4,000 gas stations, actually, across the United States, and has been a lucrative oil export chain between Venezuela and the U.S. Venezuela has allowed the U.S. to maintain so much oil in reserve that has allowed the U.S. not to feel the bite that uh, the EU is feeling as a result of gas and oil being cut off from Russia. Okay, thank you for your response, Sister Eleanor. We'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, one of the things we want to talk about when we look at the article, definitely when you talk about the question, how? How are they looting, stealing, and lying? is that they make up legislations, they create enemies, and they make their enemy your enemy. And by making laws, they claim it's legal, and they just go and take your stuff because they think they have the power because they can. So um, what do you take from this article, Brother Moses? Talk to us. I think we may have we lost a connection to Brother Moses. Um, hmm. 
on the board. Let's see if we can oh. bring him in. Hello. Brother Moses, we got you now. Go ahead. Your response to the right. article, Brother Moses. The U.S. has a long history of looting and plundering the the central and southern uh, hemisphere. Um, um, the Monroe Doctrine expresses our, our the U.S. government's desire, desires and uh, its attempts to have hegemony over over the political economy. Uh, it, it has a history of lawmaking, lawmaking in in its own interests and against the interests of the world's people. Um, this is all well documented. Um, the Chitco, the, the Venezuelan oil oil people, um, is being um, by the U.S. government and and, and its policies and laws uh, designed to to strip the Venezuelan people of their resources. And um, this is this we have a history of this, uh, and you know we can't ignore it. Um, uh, certainly, you know the Venezuelan people have a right to self-determination and independence and uh, and control of their own resources. And you know that's a fundamental fundamental principle that the U.S. just does not uh, uh, practice. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You know, Brother um, Haki, not only are they taking revenues from the country, from the oil company over billions of dollars a year, but they're also going around the world kidnapping people airplanes, taking Venezuela airplanes, and now to most sudden put it on the market because they want to make their enemy the Venezuela enemy, claiming that the airplane belongs to Iran, and Iran is on that so-called embargo treasury list, and they can justify going around taking people's property. Um, the bottom line, Brother Haki, what do you take in terms of what, what is the major lesson to be learned when you read information like the one you just read from this article? What would you like to say to the people in terms of the le- lessons that need to be learned? And once the American people are aware of this behavior, what is our responsibility to correct the wrong that their government is doing? Your response, Brother Haki. Well, you know, uh, former President of Ecuador, Rafael Correa, he said, what is the point in terms of trying to uh, cooperate or, or negotiate with liars and thieves? Uh, he's, pretty, he's very, very succinct. I mean, he's, he's, he's summed it up perfectly. Uh, when, you live with, when you deal with a, a state like the U.S., uh, which is committed to lying and, and, and stealing, uh, you know, uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, you know nothing meaningful can ever, nothing meaningful could ever come of it. Um, you know, but uh, I, I think I, I lost your question, Brother Africa. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost your question. Give it to the question again. Yeah, I just say in terms of reading this article, what is the, the lesson that you can learn from this article that you'd like to share with the listening public? And once the public is aware of how this government and looting and stealing and raping other countries, what is the public responsibility to correct the wrong that their government has been engaging in? What do you say to them? Well, well, well Brother Africa, that's a very, very, uh, very complex uh, question you pose. Uh, one thing, you, you, you presuppose that the masses of people are not inundated with propaganda. In other words, 
that they they fully understand the, the nature of the beast. They understand in terms of the, the duplicity involved in U.S. foreign policy. Uh, that is a that's a big assumption. Uh, to the to the extent that people are conscious of the uh, of what's going on in the name in their name, uh, unity is always good in terms of bringing forth you know you know first discussion and ultimately, you know uh, you know um, you know um, uh, you know um, protest uh, to bring attention to those problems. But the bottom line is that you know unless we can overcome the sectarianism or overcome this, this notion in terms of in terms of political line. Unless we can overcome that tendency in terms of embracing political line and reject all others, uh, the kind of unity we need in terms of truly bring to bear the kind of pressure we need in terms of enforcing the U.S. government to change course uh, is highly unlikely. So, so as much has to be done on the on the on the on the, on the community level in terms of you know uh, you know preparing for you know being in a position to actually be able to impact U.S. foreign policy. Because keep in mind, uh, one of the things that we're very clear on that when we talk about U.S. foreign policy, their aims and objectives has nothing to do in terms of the interests of the masses of people. Their aims and objectives solely benefit the wealthy and, and the, or the capitalist class in American society. So in that context, when the masses of people uh, protest or they 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 they, they articulate their disgust in terms of U.S. foreign policy uh, done in their name, uh, it's simply useless. It's, it's, it's dismissed. So unless the masses of people can sustain, you know, protest in terms of dealing with those issues. That's the only way conceivably you can you can force the U.S. to change its position in terms of a lot of those those, those policies uh, that are that are uh, 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 unfavorable, uh, not only to the countries that they that they impose upon, but also to the American people. Because we cannot separate the fact that when you talk about U.S. foreign policy in terms of you know is is uh, um, Improvisation of other societies. Keep in mind that also those moves, those strategies also impact people in America. So the level of poverty in America also exacerbates, also increases. So, so I think that you, you, I, I hear what you're saying, uh, and it would be good in terms of the masses of people could come to realization, you know, that what the U.S. is doing in their name is not good for their long-term interests. It would be good if people could come to that realization. But I think it's going to take much more discussion, much more organization in terms of community or community level, in terms of expressing, you know, or articulating why those things are so important. A lot of those people are inundated with, with the propaganda, and people are people think that in fact, simply because you were born here, that you simply have to abide by whatever rules the ruling class uh, uh, gives you. Uh, until people reject that fundamental thinking, I think they're they're, being, they're inclined to actually go along with whatever the government does, you know, uh, you know, under their name. Uh, so that's a lot of discussion that has to take place, a lot of organization that has to take place in terms of truly mounting a, a, you know, a, a movement in terms of getting the U.S. You know, to change its position in terms of you know, foreign policy. But that's a very intricate process, Brother Africa, and I'll close with that. All right, thank you, Brother Haki. What we're going to do right now, let's go to our last article for tonight as we deal with our theme tonight. U.S. is looting, stealing, and lying. How are they doing this? So there's article titles from the Alliance of Global Justice Newsletter. You can look up on September the 15th, 2022, written by um, John Perry. Neco notes, Nicaragua, a dictatorship, where it follows U.S. lead on NGOs. You know, a lot of times we talk about NGOs, we talk about 
what are they doing in these countries? They give the NGOs this 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 cover as being all innocent and there for the people. And from this article, um, Nicaragua is becoming more more much more tight on the behavior of these NGOs and how they can function, particularly in terms of how money flows in and out the country and be free to use it any kind they want to, any kind of way they want to, particularly against the interests of the state and the government. So in terms of this question of NGOs, you know, people need to be aware of that NGOs, not all, but many NGOs, become part of the tool of the U.S. foreign policy and serve their interests. Uh, and on that note, Brother Moses, once you give me your take on this particular article in terms of how you view the NGOs in terms of its critique in Nicaragua, are they doing the right thing or forcing them to apply by the rules and laws to go back? So, um, well, let's start with, start with Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, in terms of NGOs and how the Nicaragua government has tightened up the rules and regulations to make sure they are not... Um, using money illegally against the government, and they are properly reporting the monies that they are getting. So if they are going to be a registered a foreign agent of a country, the government would know. What do you take from this article in terms of the behavior of the NGOs and how Nicaragua is dealing with it? Sister Eleanor. What, well, the, the thing is that I found interesting is that the uh, – uh, you see all the the the, the Western powers um, ganging up on the Nicaraguan uh, government, uh, such as the UN Human Rights Commission, quote, urged Nicaragua to stop its dump, uh, uh, damning, damaging crackdown on uh, civil society. Well, that's obviously not a real issue there. Nicaragua had one of the most successful elections uh, in, in, in Western history, meaning the U.S. doesn't have as many voters um, come out as uh, the Nicaraguans did. And the country is uh, being called a, dic- a dictatorship laid bare. Uh, is uh just propaganda from both the BBC and folks like that. What can possibly uh, uh, have provoked such widespread criticism um, of Nicaragua is really beyond me. Um, It turned out that the Nicaraguan National Assembly uh, was... uh, the withdrawal of tax-free legal status of a small proportion of the country's nonprofit organizations, just over 440. I don't know much about that over a period of four years. I know that in this country, routinely organizations lose their, quote, 501c3 status and uh, have to become 501c4 because they are lobbying organizations. I think with this article talking about these nonprofits, in fact, rather than being nonprofits uh, as uh, as charitable organizations doing charitable work, they were in effect 
lobbying organizations um, uh, and that they were not NGOs in terms of providing services to the people uh, and uh, this and so since this function did not exist, it was only reasonable that their uh, tax status be changed. That's done routinely in the United States um, by the IRS, and it's an important function of the tax system. You can't possibly have a lobbying group working as a nonprofit to undermine the United States government or in Nicaragua to have nonprofits operating to undermine the Nicaraguan government. That's that's just uh, outrageous. And so um, I have further comments I'll give on this article, but I'll give uh, Brother Ike and Brother Moses an opportunity to speak because in the article they mentioned between 2006 and 2011 that the IRS closed 279,000 nonprofits in the U.S. A total of 1.7 million closed 28,000 more in 2020. The Charity Commission in in Britain closed around 4,000 per year. And Australia, some... 10,000 per year, according to the article. Now, Nicaragua, in a four-year period, closed uh, uh, only 7% of the total uh, nonprofits, some 6,000 that operate in Nicaragua. So uh, it's important that people get the truth and know Okay, I think we have lost the mic for Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do is go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, when we look at the NGOs and use their tools to undermine a government, give the government in its legal rights to defend itself. Brother Moses, your thoughts? Certainly all governments declare sovereignty. They have the right to to the independence of other governments and to make their own laws and rules according to the people which, which they govern. And that's, that's a given. Uh, however, the, the, the NGO non-government organizations within a country, you know, sometimes are against its policies and sometimes are for its policies. Uh, there's different, the, 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 Different organizations have different interests in uh, in Nic- in Nicaragua and uh, Venezuela and Cuba. Their 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 NGOs operating and uh, and they have to abide by the laws of the country. Uh, uh, um, you know the, the, the is you know the country has to defend itself against uh, all threats. You know domestic and foreign and. Uh, and and so these NGOs, you know, are not, you know, they they're foreign agents, uh, and 
you know, they are treated as such. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Uh, Brother Haki, we know that looking at the history of many NGOs, they serve as a tool for U.S. intelligence. Uh, in the article, it talks about that possibility of what may be happening not only in Nicaragua, but also in other countries. Um, just your general take on this question of Nicaragua uh, putting in place policies and rules to counterbalance those reactionary um, actions that some NGOs may be participating in. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, Nicaragua, just like any country, you know, has its sovereignty, uh, you know. And so when we talk about in terms of establishing rules for NGO operations, us within our rights to do so. The United States does it all the time. As a matter of fact, the whole world does that. So no country is expected to allow some foreign entity to come inside its borders and to dictate, you know, its policy within. I mean, that simply just doesn't happen. But when the context of you know, the historical role of, you, uh, of NGOs is going to be very clear on it. They're, they're established to do one of three things. It was a propaganda, the society, destabilize society, or forming coups. That is the role of NGOs. And I think more importantly, that one of the things, and I think Nicaragua recognized this, is that when, when you talk about, you know, NGOs and promoting democracy, I think Nicaraguans understand, I think Daniel Taker really understands yeah, there's some real problems in terms of that claim in terms of promoting democracy because if you stop and think about it, uh, the U.S. itself is not a democracy. So this notion in terms of promoting democracy when the United States is not a democracy uh, seems uh, counterfactual. Also, I think when you talk about you know uh, you know um, you know NGOs activities and, and, and when often these activities you know are opposed to socialism, socialism in fact is very, very democratic. So one would ask himself if in fact is democratic committed to democracy, why does it pose socialism? And also, I think one of the things also is that, you know, when, often when you talk about NGOs and you talk about their activities, all the activities tend to promote corporate interests, and that's very, very interesting. And reflect in, 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 in supporting corporate interests, you get to a situation where actually the, the will of the people uh, is not reflected. So the people want an end to homelessness. They want an end to lack of health care. They want an end to lack of education. Uh, jobs and so forth and so on. Well, when you when you have an organization that promotes the power of corporations from inside the society, then the bottom line is that it's very very clear that what they're saying is that they're trying to not empower, but they're trying to disempower the society, and they're creating a scenario in which the wealth of that society fundamentally flows from that country to Western states, in particular the United States. And so, how democratic is that in terms of such a setup? Uh, so clearly, you know, uh, NGOs are very, very, um, uh, uh, are very, very much opposed to to real democracy. And just just one example, I think I want to point out, and this thing is important to get this, even though this isn't this one doesn't uh, purport to uh, to a Nicaragua, but in 2002, the the Samake uh, NGO organization, uh, they of course they were funded by tens of thousands, tens of tens of hundreds of thousands of hundreds hundreds of thousands of dollars. In a coup attempt in Venezuela, this was back in uh, 2002. If you recall, it's the same time that they removed uh, Hugo Chavez from power. In fact, those those hundreds of thousands of dollars they funneled to this organization, this NGO, they invested in a Karina Machado, and her whole role 
wants to destroy all state institutions, those institutions that actually empower the people, made it possible for the kids to go to school, made it possible for the kids, people to have health care, made it possible for people to be educated, made it possible for people uh, to have homes, all those things that are empowering to people, she systematically opposed, and as a result of her stand, she received hundreds of thousands of dollars from the U.S. specifically to, cult, to cultivate or, or, or foment a coup against Hugo Chavez. So in that context, Brother Africa, I think when we talk about NGOs, we can never see NGOs in a favorable light. Even though, as you alluded to, there are some who actually do what they're intended to do. They do actually good work. But the bottom line, that is not the norm. And so I suspect that this is a strategic thing in terms of, you know, having some do good as a cover to allow those who are doing wrong to surreptitiously uh, do all kinds of evil things against that society. So clearly, Brother Africa, there's nothing positive to say about NGOs. And so uh, Nigel Rock was obviously correct. Daniel Tate was correct. Uh, you know, he should set the tenant, set the tone in terms of, you know, how NGOs should operate inside of Nicaragua. Thank you, Brother Haki. And this is Africa on the Moon. I'm the host, Brother Africa. And we're discussing the theme tonight, U.S. looting, stealing, and lying. How? In terms of the context of the theme, we highlighted three countries, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, where these particular reactionary behaviors are taking place by the U.S., looting, stealing, and lying. And we want to share with the listening audience, as we say, give you information so you can think. For what information you cannot think and what organization cannot think clearly. By having the information, it cannot no longer become an excuse that you did not know. So, as so-called citizens of this country, do you accept this kind of behavior? If not, what are you going to do about it? So on that note, what do you think about that? We're going to take a station break, a liberation culture break, and when we come back, we have some announcements, and we've asked our panelists and analysts their final thoughts for today's program. You have been listening to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back, and don't you go nowhere. A negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white
public universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. You go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards under Europe or Europeans, you will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look under Africa and the Africans, the only entries under Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes.
So join us on that interview this Sunday on the 28th for 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And on the 31st, there will be an interview with Brother Bob Brown of Pan-African Roots as he talk about the legality of slave trafficking and the slave trade. That will be on the 31st again, that following Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. So put those dates down, join us. And like always, if you want to support the radio station, you can do so by cash apping us at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b, or you can us at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. Like all contributions, we use to help further um, to the work that we're doing on the radio station and other works in the community. So your support is appreciated. Come and join us. Become a part of our support team, Friends of African on the Move Radio. By email us at AfricanOnTheMove to Gmail. We will greatly need your labor, need your talent, need your skills. Let's build this institution for Mother Africa, for African people and humanity. So those are our announcements for today's program. We'll go back now to our political panelists and ask them for their final thoughts for tonight. We'll start with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Are you there, Brother Moses? Okay, we have an issue with Brother Moses. Let's go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, Brother Africa, I'd like to pick off where pick up where I had the political difficulty with the article in Nicaragua. I'd just like to say that the National Endowment for Democracy, which is a propaganda group in the United States, has um, bragged about its efforts to fund uh, groups uh, and in South America and and Europe, including Croatia, Russia, the Ukraine, Poland, and many other countries, and that in fact Nicaragua was praised by uh, the uh, FATF, that that is a Financial Action Task Force, International Task Force, um, for its great work in standardizing government and setting policy. And you've seen in Nicaragua, as well as this country, um, schools having to be taken over, for example, universities. And when universities are state-run, uh, students find that tuitions are regulated and, and, and they find a great success. Now, the U.S. had been funding um, the National Endowment for Democracy, had been funding several NGOs in Nicaragua, and these uh, their goal was simply to establish uh, propaganda machines to undermine the Nicaraguan government. And 13 other countries besides the U.S. use similar tax laws as Nicaragua is being praised for doing. And uh, this 
this this is a great thing that Nicaragua's doing. He's showing that, uh, and and the financial action task force set up in uh, 1989 by the G7 government imposes these rules and applies them globally. Yet they want them not to apply to Nicaragua. So we see that Nicaraguan government stood up anyway and has uh, utilized these national standards for the improvement of the Nicaraguan economy. And as Brother Moses said, certainly no government should allow a propaganda machine that moves to undermine it, whether it's the Proud Boys in the United States or some unnamed National Endowment for Democracy organization in Nicaragua. They claim to have had several, um, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but they had several uh, of these type of NGOs operating in Nicaragua, uh, Venezuela. Uh, they really uh, talked about how important it, uh, uh, they were trying to, how important it is to introduce the intro, introduction of foreign influence uh, registration schemes, which is similar you know, I mean, so anyway, the National Endowment for Democracy is uh, on the move, and it's the um, does some of the work that the CIA would normally do, and has been doing it for some while. And um, congratulations to the Nicaraguan people with their great election uh, last year, and for uh, their success in organizing uh, their financial action, uh, actions in compliance with the Financial Action Task Force that, uh, as I said, was set up in 1989 by the G7. And uh, good, good luck. And that's, it was a great article, and it's good to know that such a small country is in compliance with uh, international law. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Hockey, for your final thoughts tonight. The mic is yours. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, that's the question. The, the, the challenges we face you know, in the society are tremendous. I, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat it and tell anybody that by any stretch of imagination the challenges are relatively easy to resolve. Uh, the bottom line is that we have an entrenched interest. We have a cabal, about 1% of the population, who has absolute control over any and everything this country does. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as a democracy, but the problem is that in, in, in terms of democracy, uh, you can't have a democracy if you have one percent. You have one percent of the population uh, in control of corporations that are centrally located, which determines policy for the entire nation. Uh, so, whereas 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 uh, uh, socialism or communism, they talk about you know central centralized bureaucracy. 
in capitalism, we have centralized bureaucracy, but only using corporations. And so in that context, their ability in terms of uh, important policy, which is which are benefit to the masses of people, uh, becomes um, impossible. And so we, we're stuck with this dilemma in terms of a system which is diametrically opposed to the interests of its people. Uh, and that's probably particularly compounded when we talk about the interests of African people. Uh, we talk about these, the... the uh, the injustice inflicted upon African people uh, is, 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 even, is even more pointed. And so the question becomes, you know, what do we do in, 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 that, in, that, in that reality? I had an opportunity to listen to uh, a debate um, the other day um, with a brother, um, uh, one, one brother progressive and one brother conservative. And it was very really interesting in that the, the, the conservative brothers could never grasp the points that the progressive brother was raising. He just continued to articulate talking points, and it was just getting frustrating. And so I'm sitting and I'm listening to this. I'm like, it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my head. I'm saying, this guy cannot be real. Nobody can be that, that excuse me, no one can be that, be that naive. But the, but, the, but the reality is that there are lots and lots of people who are, in fact, that naive. And one of the things that the U.S. government counts on, and particularly as it uses you know, propaganda, it anticipates or it expects naivety, naive, you know, the, the naivety, naivety. Excuse me. Uh, it expects uh, the, this, this, this propensity in terms of being, you know, naive, uh, to present itself in terms of understanding the world in which we live in. Uh, if we, as as a people, if we don't fundamentally understand our own worth as human beings, then we simply allow the state or systems or governments, for that matter, to treat us any kind of way it wants to treat us. To the point that we come to, once we come to the realization that you know that we we're human and, dig, and and deserve a certain dignity, I think at that point then people stand up and say, you know what, enough is enough. You know, I got to do what I got to do. I got to stand up. Uh, but until we get to that point, uh, propaganda becomes much, that much more effective in terms of conditioning people to believe things that are not true at all. And certainly, you got to take your head off to the to the to the U.S. government ability. In terms of written certain discourse, uh, certain ideas are never presented on the national media. They won't allow it. You got to give it to them. In terms of the ability to control information, is very, 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 very good. And uh, so the question for us is, how do we overcome, you know, this, 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 this orchestrated uh, um, um, effort at presenting information to people? Uh, unless we can supplant that 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 that, that uh, fake uh, news media. Uh, or that mainstream media hype, unless you replace it with something concrete in terms of delivering a similar kind of message on a consistent basis, it complicates our ability in terms of moving people forward in terms of understanding why does in a country so, quote-unquote, as rich as America, why does people on the streets, why do people don't have jobs, why people don't have access to health care, why people don't have health or quality education. Those kind of things you would think would normally be associated with their world economies countries who are just developing and so they don't have the resources for various reasons in terms of being able to provide for the masses of their people. But now what would be the excuse for the United States? It's supposedly we're very wealthy. Why do these problems persist? It speaks to it speaks to a certain philosophy that exists in a society which says the existence of certain people are esoteric. In other words, if you're poor, your life has no value. To the extent that many people have internalized that notion that if you don't have money, you're nobody, uh, those people are very amenable to being manipulated by U.S. propaganda simply because they start from a basis that, you know, certain people deserve what they get based upon the fact they don't have access to wealth. 
that is that is really ironic for it's really ironic you know uh, when you think about in terms of what it is to be a human being to say that uh, there's this bifurcation that exists in terms of defining what human beings are based upon material possessions. It's it's crazy, but nonetheless, many many people in, really believe in fact that's the way life is supposed to be, and as such, are willing to carry out and support policies which fundamentally disem, not only disempowered but essentially uh, 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 destroys people's lives uh, simply because, you know, they don't have access to wealth, and that is fundamentally a problem. But anyway, Brother Africa, I'm going to conclude by simply saying, as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix uh, because it's key. Uh, if, we don't, if we don't fundamentally understand in terms of the, the, the policy in place in the society and the implications that it has for us, particularly the African community, then... The bottom line is that we're in real, real trouble. And when we think about fascism historically, and we think about the evolution of fascism in American society, and we see the, we see these indications all around us that fascism is here to stay. Clearly, we got some work cut out for us to do. But first and foremost, we have to recognize what what those what, what those what, what those uh, conditions consist of, and how they impact us, uh, particularly how they impact our children. With that, brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki. I'm going to bring in this last caller, um, 6103. 6103, before I make my final thoughts tonight, caller 6103. We're going to turn the mic over to you. The mic is yours. Welcome to Africa on the Move, 6103. Yes, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I, I really appreciate it. Yes, how you doing, brother? Your statement comment you'd like to make. Yeah, I just wanted to say, as, as an African myself, um, I don't think socialism is necessarily the best uh, economic model to pursue. I think capitalism with regulation is the best model to implement of all the potential choices to take. Okay, Carl, that's your opinion. We can respect you for that, and we will continue to have this struggle, and we thank you for supporting Africa on the Move. We thank you. All right, as you can tell, we've been discussing the theme tonight, U.S. is looting, stealing, and lying. We'd like to thank all our participants for their perspectives on this theme tonight. Of course, we'd like to thank you for allowing us to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth to the powerful and to the powerless, to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We'd like to remind you and spread the word that this Wednesday is We'll be on. We'll be doing special programs as we participate, celebrate, and work with the AAPIPGC as we continue to celebrate this month, African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. The next show will be this Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. Spread the word. We'll be discussing the theme, which will be Pan-Africanism and the national question in the diaspora. They have invited representatives from Cuba, Venezuela, Colombia, um, Barbados, KTs to give their perspective on this important question. Please join in and help us celebrate these ARD activities. And for more information, please go to the APRPGC website, which is at www.a-aprp.gc.org. Remember, Africa on the Move is a community development project of the African Awareness Association. 
and we are healed because we want to help move our people forward. We are healed because we know what information our people cannot think. We are healed because we know what organization our people cannot think clearly. We encourage you to join the organization that is fighting for the liberation of the people. If you cannot find one, we encourage you to create one. Create one. Only an organized force can defeat the enemy. Only an organized force can defeat the enemy. We must get organized. So let's do that. And the best way to honor African Liberation Day as an institution is to help celebrate and build it. So join us Wednesday on the 24th at 8 p.m. on Africa on the News. Spread the word. Until next time, we're going to leave you with some music, uh, inspiration, and liberation for the next 15, 20 minutes. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the music. This has been Africa on the Move.
here in chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, to last through my journey. When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. Stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah. 